because he's a whipper and he runs really fast, he gets called all sorts of things. And I end up saying, you know, sort of running through the park going, pants, panty, panty, <laughs> panty face, panty And then I suddenly think, oh my God, somebody's <laughs> listening to this. This week on Walking the Dog, I went out with broadcaster, journalist and Newsnight presenter Emily Maitlis and her beautiful whippet Moody. We took our stroll in London's Kensington Gardens. I say stroll, this woman is a serious power walker. If you hear any huffing and puffing, that'll be me trying to keep up with the human dynamo. Emily is such a fascinating person to talk to. She's had an incredible career. We chatted about her interview with Bill Clinton and the question that she really agonised over not asking him her tough interrogation of Theresa May, and we also discussed her childhood in Sheffield and an extraordinary female friend she made who saved her from the mean girls. Emily also talked about her new book, Airhead, which takes you through some of the most pivotal moments of her career. And it's an absolutely brilliant read. I really recommend it. I loved my walk with my namesake. She was great company. She was incredibly warm and chatty, but she was also really honest, which was actually what sold her to me the most. I should say, there's also a rather special guest appearance on this episode. During our walk, we ran into the very first person to ever guest on the Walking the Dog podcast. It was only Alan Carr, out with his English setters. The man just can't get enough of me. I really hope you like my chat with Emily. Her book Airhead is available now in hardback and I urge you to read it because I think you'll love it. Do remember to rate, review and subscribe to Walking the Dog on iTunes if you want to hear more. I'll stop talking now and hand you over to the woman herself. Here's Emily. Where's Moody gone? Here. Literally oh, here. Oh, he's right back. He's literally here. This is how I walk. Here's the ham. Come here's on, the Moody. Ham, and here's Mood. What have you got in your hand? Ham. You've got ham. What's yeah, that for then? That's to entice him. <laughs> it's not for me. <laughs> But yeah. I haven't even introduced the podcast properly. I'm so excited because the person I'm interviewing today, I'm sure you'll recognise her voice. It's hard not to. She's uh, rarely off the screens. I'm with the very wonderful Emily Maitlis. And we had to reorganise this because it was raining. And she didn't want to subject her whippet Moody to the elements, which I understand. That's also my excuse. <laughs> Blame the dog. <laughs> Whenever you don't want to do anything in the rain, blame the dog. We should say we're in... Will you introduce where we are, oh, Emily? Well, it's just... It's actually glorious today. We're in Hyde Park, walking under bright green lime trees, the sort of colour of the inside of broad beans. And it's really sunny and blue and creamy white clouds. And... Uh, Oh, I love this. I feel like I'm listening to an audio book. <laughs> it's like that one that was ASDR. I'm going to send you all to sleep in about two seconds. Come on. Do you like walking and are you... I get the impression of you as a sort of up early, up and atom person. I, I run with him. So uh, we're, our normal thing is a sort of park circuit and then a swim in the serpentine. Mm. And uh, we have slightly different running speeds, um, obviously because he is rather good at short, sharp bursts and I'm not. But he is then really, really lazy. And nobody realises that. They think if you have a whippet, that you've got to be sort of hyper-energetic. And people don't realise that whippets actually spend 
23 hours a day being a couch potato after they've had their sort of first burst. Do they get knackered then? They just... I don't know if they're knackered or if they're just honestly just intractably lazy. I think he's never... Ha he's got a very, very low heartbeat, so he's just really calm. He's the calmest dog you'll ever meet. I mean, He's absolutely beautiful. I mean, I, I don't want to be shallow and just refer to his looks. Um, but he's... This is so Moody. I want to know why Moody the Whippet is called Moody because it's a brilliant name. Well, no, I mean it's a bit weird actually. It's a bit, it's, you know, I'm not particularly proud of it. But we we sort of picked him up and we had small kids at the time and they were sort of trying out all these names and shall we call him this and Bluey and Grey and you know all the things that sort of kids come about. Yeah. And he's six years old, born on February the 22nd. And the kids, I think they'd, they'd been reading all sorts of things. And then they were sort of going, what about Mindy and Mookie? And, and then they said Moody. And yeah. and I, my husband, burst out laughing. Because this, sound, this makes us sound like a really sad family. And I apologise in advance. But we'd, we've been listening on the news to the, the chance of the economic forecast. And, and, and we'd just been downgraded as a AAA nation status. Because you know, our finances were shot to pieces. And so Moody's have just downgraded us and we'd lost our triple A rating. <laughs> and so the kids are messing around going, let's call him Mundy or Mindy or Moody. And Mark and I burst out laughing. We were like, oh yeah, Moody, that's really good. Let's all celebrate the day that we completely, you know, became an economic stopped. basket case. And so we're laughing at this and then we're like, yep, that's it. Okay, named after us becoming an economic basket case. And so the name stuck. And so he gets... So his name is Moody, but obviously he gets called Moods. Yeah. And then because he's a whipper and he runs really fast, he gets called all sorts of things. And I end up saying, you know, sort of running through the park going, pants, panty, panty, <laughs> panty face, panty. And then I suddenly think, oh my God, somebody's listening to this and just see this mad woman in a tennis skirt running towards him going, panty face, panty face, because I'm trying to explain what the dog is doing, not, not what I'm wearing. And so it, they do, I mean, he gets called terrible names. I mean, if, yeah. you, if you want to get inside somebody's psyche, ask them their pet names for their pet inside their own home, because it's, it's just it's awful. So, no, I've got loads. I can't, I'm really embarrassed. I didn't bring my dog Raymond today. He's a shih tzu. Aww. Well, you know what, Emily? He's beautiful, but he's, he's sort of like a little Ewok. And I think he would have really struggled to... He walks for about two seconds and then he gives up. Right. I love the idea of an Ewok. He's up there. He is, but I have weird names for him. I call him... So look at him now, right? So he gives us a head start and then he just oh, yeah. comes, like, pounding along. Wow, we're just looking at Moody racing toward... Wowee! You are amazing! Hi, Pantface. So Ewok so stayed at home. So silky. He's also very sexist. Is he? Yeah. So he's very sexist. Well, I sounded a bit sexist, saying he's so lithe and silky there. <laughs> no, I think you're allowed to. That's sort of the balance. Why of... is he sexist? He's... he's I, I mean, I've definitely noticed it. You know, they always talk about who's the sort of, who is, who is the sort of pack leader. Mm. And even though I'm his, you know, pack leader in terms of I, I run him, I walk him, all the rest of it, if I'm on my own with him, mm. he just fucks around. Does he? Yeah. And, and if I'm with, like, a big, tall man running, 
Yeah. He'll be like, oh yeah, I've got to keep up. Got to keep up. <laughs> oh yeah, you're with this bloke. You've got to... And I get really angry with him because where does it come from? And so today, there's, can I say, well, there's four of us, right? We're walking. It's a little group of four. And so that's that's kind of touch wood. That's enough of an incentive for him to say, oh, it's not just her on her own. Come here. Here. Come here, sweetheart. Eminently bribable. Yeah, Sit down, please. Yeah, you can please. bribe him. Yeah. Baby, beautiful oh, really? Boy. Did you enjoy that? So, Emily, what, how was, what was your relationship with animals when you were growing up? Because you, I mean, you moved around a bit, didn't you? You Were, were you born in no, Canada? No, I, I actually, I lived in the same, I, I mean, I moved around in the sense that I was, like, born in Canada. Yes. But actually, Once by the were... time I was two, right. we lived in the same house. We lived in the same house all my life. Yeah. And weird, and my parents still have that house, and the telephone number has never changed. And so it's slightly weird, you know, sort of like... Was this in Sheffield? 40, in Sheffield, you know, 40, 45 years of my, of my life, sort of knowing the same phone number off my heart. It's kind of really weird, I you know. I think that's really it's lovely. It's lovely. Yeah, it is nice. And so we had... Um, my mother owned a dog when she was growing up, Bobby. Yeah. But my dad has always been sort of allergic, slightly, you know, asthmatic, so... Cats and dogs and that sort of stuff were always out when we were kids. And so I had... I and this had is you and your two sisters? Me and my two sisters. Yeah. <laughs> so my first pet was Humphrey, who was a gerbil. And <laughs> it was extraordinary, Did actually. Did they count gerbils? I oh, my God, them. yes. Really? Yeah, Humphrey's... I ran him on the lawn. I ran him on the lawn and he came back. I mean, I, I can't actually believe that now. <laughs> he used to run along the, the lawn. We had a sort of, you know... Not a big lawn, but something you could play badminton on. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. Like, and so he'd run, he'd run on the lawn, and then he'd sort of come back into my arms. And he spent the whole time, all my jumpers were sort of chewed. He spent the whole time up the arms of my cardigans and jumpers. And so I'd open the door with a little, a little nose peeping out the sort of collar of my, you know, V-neck or whatever, yeah. or in the pocket. And he lived till he was about six, which I think in gerbil terms is really... Like really old, oh, yes. you know, poor little hump. So he, I think actually he had for a caged animal, he had like, he had a really good life. He had a decent life, and we were very close, and that was lovely. And then I had Florence, who was a mouse, little black mouse, and um, she was a sweetheart. You know, not quite as exciting as Humphrey, but a, a sweet little thing. And did you? And because your dad was a university professor. Yes. So was it chemistry? Yes. He was. So was it kind of a sciencey family? Was it like an academic no, family? No, no. My dad, well, it's hard to say. My dad was a sort of brilliant scientist, but oh. a, a, the sort of black sheep, really, because I'm he... You, by the way. Oh, you're, fine. You've got a Let's just walk. Well, I, I know. I, I always do this. I march off in foreign cities if I know where I am. No, I'm just, I'm sort of leading us down there. No, I feel safe nice. with you. I think you're the person in the group that I would already. I feel you're the social architect. <laughs> I've got, I've got the umbrella. I'm yes, waving the umbrella. Yes, you're the umbrella person. You're like, right, we're going this way. Yeah, no, dangerous. But That's um, good. So go on. So your parents. So my 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 dad is very sciencey. My mother is very artsy, and confusingly, my dad is also very good at languages. So he's sort of quite humanities. You know, he's. He's very bored, actually. But that's and connected, isn't it, often? I mean, is that a cliche, that sort of idea? That science but and it's language. science and language and... Maybe. I always, Maybe I always tend right. to think that. Anyway, I'm, I'm not really sciencey at all. My middle sister is very good at science and maths and all yeah. that stuff. And my elder sister is very much more 
artsy. So, yeah. And was your mum a psychotherapist or something? She is. Yeah, she's a. She still practices. People whose parents are involved in that line of work tend to be quite well adjusted on the whole. Oh God, no. <laughs> no, I think the opposite sometimes. I think, I think there's normally a really good reason why they've had to go into it. Um, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that at all. I, but it was interesting for my mum. She, I, I mean, she retrained at the age of 60. So she did, her, she did oh, wow. a second, maybe even a third, a, you know, another degree yeah. in her 60s and said she, she'd got to a stage where I think a lot of her friends were going through you know, grief, losing their partners. Yeah, or, yeah. And it's that she, time of life, isn't it? It was that yeah. time of life. And she just, I remember saying she wanted to have the sort of tools to be able to talk to them properly, you know, and say the right thing and not kind of go, oh, I'm sure to be fine. Or, yeah, yeah. You, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or you'll, you'll be fine. That's or, the most punchable thing someone yeah. can say there's, to you. I, there's just so many punchable <laughs> things. And I think she was sort of savvy enough to get that quite early. Oh, and, oh that looks like dog yoga. Someone's well, <laughs> what, what I really mean by that is somebody's <laughs> kicking their legs in the air and the dog's fast asleep next to them. Not do, the dog is, is not doing the downward dog. The dog is doing the child's pose. Yeah, exactly. The fast asleep. The dog looks like a lion. Yes, maybe it is. Let's see what Moody says. Um, Moody's going over to say hello. Oh, this dog is huge, Emily. Look. Yeah, that's basically a bear. Is, is that, <laughs> it's a grizzly. <laughs> is that it's a grizzly any, bear, yeah. Oh, is that like Nana from... From Peter Pan. Pan. Do you think? I, I think, think Nana's Nana. a beagle. No, oh. no, Nana. I think Nana's a Newfoundland. Oh, maybe you're right. I'm, I think that is a Newfoundland. There's a lot of quite hot dogs here. What, as in attractive? Or... <laughs> yeah, now I sound like some flea bag. Really hot, really hot dog. This do excuse me, is this dog a Newfoundland? Of course, you are. You're a. Oh, Hello, she, sweetie. She looked really pleased Hello, that I got darling. that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Little chat. This dog is absolutely huge. Yeah. Moody's not sure because the giant. Moody just wants to run. Wants he to wants play, to sort of wind somebody up and have a run. Should we I go think, and find you another I think whippet or something? Physically, they're just not ill suited. Now look, that's our serpentine. I think we should go round. Okay, let's go there. So um. <sighs> so heavenly. So yeah. So your. So dog. We're talking about your No, we're talking no, about your mum and. Yeah. So she did that later in life, actually. So when she you were growing up, was she sort of a homemaker? She was. She, she taught. I mean, she started, she started teaching in, funny enough, in New York State, very troubled kids from, yeah. you know, um, tough backgrounds. And so she had worked in the US and worked as a teacher. And then There's Alan. Alan! I thought it was you. Oh, well, dog. aren't we all? Is this Hello, you. Yeah, you're Hello. right, love. Do you know Emily? Yeah, Hello. Hello. Hi. Who's that? Well, that's, um, that's Bev. That's Tuppence. I'm doing, the, I'm doing the podcast at the moment with oh, Emily. Shit. No, it's all right. Bev's got so a I'm lot gonna, of I should explain. spit We've just dangling from her mouth. Who's done this podcast? Yes. And I waved a bag of dog poo at you. And I did that to the head of ITV the other day. I was like, <laughs> waving my bag of poo. Kevin, And Kevin. he's walking. Is this Bev or Joy? That's Bev. And she's got dribbling. Emily, watch out. She's yeah, got I know. I was, I was, she's I was got bad dribble. She has got bad dribble. 
And then, um, and that's the one we rescued from Korea, little tuppence. Oh, yes, but she started dry humping Bev. Well, I didn't <laughs> know about that storyline. I know who saw that coming. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, you're here. Well, Emily's oh, met a podcast. Alan, thank you. Adored seeing you. Yes, I'm waving my dog. <laughs> See you soon. Hello. These are my girls. These are my girls. Hello. I'm Emily. Nice to meet you. Another Emily. Hello. Lovely to meet you. This is what we do. We have the dogs and the running and the swimming. These the girls are just well, no. Bluebell swimmers. Just swimmers. We don't know Bluebell. Bluebell's hilarious. Bluebell gets in the pool and tries to pretend she's our daughter. And then we go, who's that dog? Who's that dog? Okay. Oh, so nice. You've got to go. You've got to go. Bye, girls. Bye, really yeah. nice to meet Blue you. Bell. No, Bluebell's nearly saved you now. Oh, oh, I have Blue ham, as you would say. Bluebell. Bluebell. Oh. So, yeah, Merlin's. How nice to run into Merlin's your friends. Yeah. Oh, you see, now we've lost moods for the whole day. No, and Moody's got the friends now. Yeah. That was lovely. I love that. See, that's what I love about dog walking. Oh, it's just God. running it's into so people friendly, and that social interaction, I think, is really lovely in the morning. Well, any time of day, but just. I just think it's. um. It's a good thing to do, you know, just to get out the house and, and chat to people outside of your sort of work as well, totally, I think is good. Totally. Um, so tell me, so yes, yeah, so we were talking about when you were growing up and were you, I mean, I'm assuming you were the straight A academic student. I don't think I was. I think I was very um, brain-wired to find some subjects really easy and some really hard. Mm. So. I actually found maths really hard. Yeah. I don't know whether it was teaching or whether I just, you know, so I nearly didn't do O-level. I nearly did, like, what was it called, CSE? You know, oh, I, yeah, I, CSE, I was yeah. not very good at maths. Yeah. I was not very good at science. I think my dad has never been prouder than when I got a B in chemistry because it was just, you know, it was sort of... It's like the family business. <laughs> <laughs> family business, exactly. And, and he was never, he never expected it. I think that's the most gracious thing about my dad, he never pushed us towards sciences or to his line or to academia or whatever. And um, so no, I really struck, I remember biology thinking I'm terrible at biology, and, but I, I, I got quite early that, that you can teach yourself. You can pretty much teach yourself yes. if you have to. And I remember just wading through the let's, whatever it was called, you know, let's biology, let's study, let's thing, just learning yeah. actually. And once you kind of work out are you quite good at sort of applying yourself like that and setting yourself yeah, goals I think and I, tasks, you know? I think it's, I think, you know, it's really interesting. I think girls have the girly swat thing. Not all girls, but they have it more easily than boys. And I found it really funny raising boys who come back and, they, and I say, you know, look at her and I go, well, what's that? And they go, oh, no, that was just additional. That was just if you wanted to. Yeah. And I'm like, well, of course you do it. And they're like, no, because I don't want to. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it wasn't really a question of, you know, yeah. if you want to. You're meant to show willing. And were you, were you a sort of, I always talk about the group that you inhabited socially when you yeah. were growing up and your childhood. And I always had, I grew up in North London and in a, I went to a school there and it was, there's this group I called the Pretty Team. And I never, I thought, oh, well, I'm never going to join them because I don't sort of look quite right for the pretty team, but I'm just going to be the sort of joker in the pretty team right, and create right, a role right. for myself. Right, exactly right. So what did you, did you have a group? Did you hang out with, were you in the sort of... Yeah, I, I, I never made it work properly, actually. There were six of us Yeah. in what, you know, the middle school years. 
in Sheffield and it was really unhappy. It was just sort of constantly falling out and splitting up and making up and quite bitchy and quite yeah. really horrible actually. And I remember hitting um, big school, you know, kind yeah. of comprehensive school and finding this friend who was, she just, she was so different and she just, you know, she had the wildest, frizziest hair and big glasses and she laughed at herself and she was quite sort of, you know, tubby at the time and she was just, she was a completely, she just wasn't interested in the things that yeah. all the other girls seemed to be interested in at the time. And she just, I remember just her saying to me, why would you hang out with people that aren't very nice or that don't make you feel nice or happy? And it was, it was like the heavens had sort of opened yeah. and I was, it was, it was the most helpful thing anyone bet, said to me in my childhood. You never forget oh my things God, like that, no. do you? And so she and I then just had the most fantastic relationship and, you know, of just like laughter. That's what I remember from sort of 12 to 15, 16, just finding everything funny. And we would, honestly, we'd spend our Saturdays, you could get anywhere in Sheffield on a bus for 2p. And that's what we would do. We would just travel <laughs> around Sheffield on the top deck of buses for 2p just sort of telling stories and ending up in places that we didn't know and understand and and just really lovely but I, I had to get out of that what I would yes. call the mean girls yes, kind of mentality girls. that's exactly and right it, and it's remained a really sort of key tenet now it's, it's just like don't don't hang out with people who don't make you feel good about yourself or who, yeah, who aren't kind or who, who aren't, aren't kind and it wasn't I don't mean it was about them particularly but it was about getting into a mentality where you were yeah. trying to be something and I wish I, I sort of want to take every single kid aside and try and pass that on and say it's just you know it's just not worth it you're not going to have a happier time you I know. agree with you and it's so interesting I'm so glad you had that friend who sort of pulled you out she was your saviour really you need it's Sam we should give her a name oh, Sam. Sam yeah lovely Sam everyone needs a Sam yeah and I think it happens to different people at different times in their life it took me quite a lot a lot longer I think to realize that to sort of separate yourself from the mean girls we've completely lost hey, moods Mini! 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 let's go normally back. when I'm running he has a bright green um, vest a vest of shame I might have to put it on him yeah good idea and then we Mini! Mm. Mini! right I'm gonna just put where is he there, here he is. Oh, Bounding along. Oh. We lost Moody for a minute. And I, Emily was quite calm. I would have been quite panicked by that. Oh my God, I lose him six times a week. Do you? Emily. Yeah. But he knows, normally, it's really funny, sometimes, quite often, I lose him in the park and I arrive at the Serpentine Cafe just as somebody's picked him up and booting him out. So <laughs> when in doubt, he just goes to the cafe. Yeah, but you were quite calm. I think that was quite a good insight into what you're, I suppose you have to be. Well, this is sort of that would have counted home as a, for him. This is as a code red situation for me. No, I'm not. No, I've lost him. I've lost him for long patches and sort yeah. of known that he'll be. It's only annoying if you if you lose a dog just before a really big interview and you're like, <laughs> I can't spend not. an hour looking for you now. <laughs> it's really important. I don't have time. I've got Bill Clinton waiting. I'm sorry, Moody. Well, got we've got we've now got his bright yellow okay. jacket of shame on. Hooray, he looks like sort of gilet jaune, you know, oh, French look, revolutionary. He, look, he looks great. Yeah, he's got, 
I think he's got he's got a sort of tab on. It's a bit trade union. It is, it is. What um, do we want more hands? High vis tab on. Yeah, he's high vis now. But that is the point. He needs <laughs> to be high vis. So yeah. I want Where to get on to the friends thing. The friends yeah, so thing, yeah. on to the friends thing. So then your trajectory, you went to university. Went to university. Very good university. Was that sort of expected of you, do you think, to go? I think my parents were really good at keeping expectations out. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say, you know, my sister went to the same university and my mum had gone to Oxford. Mm. And so it wasn't sort of, it wasn't... Did your dad go to Cambridge? No, my dad went to Birmingham. Yeah. But then he kind of taught at Cornell and Harvard. So, like, you know, it, but they set the bar quite high. Yeah, the bar was yeah. high. <laughs> it was quite sort of, I mean, it was sort of scarily high. But mm. as I say, I think the best thing was they, they did, maybe because I was the last, you know, I was the last yeah. of three. And I think it is so much easier for the third. But by yes. the time it got to me, I don't remember having that pressure of, you've got to do this, you've got to, you know get there or anything like that so I feel I was lucky on that and did you always know you were going to go into journalism god no I swore I wouldn't weirdly I mean I I didn't know what I wanted to do and I I didn't really mind not knowing what I wanted to do yeah I I applied funny enough to do Spanish and Italian and my mum said, you're an idiot, don't do Spanish or Italian, you'll literally just mix up two languages and you won't be able to speak either. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so of course I did. <laughs> and then I spent a summer in Italy sort of working and I remember thinking, actually, I, I don't need to study this. I can, you know, mm. I can do this, I can speak, I love it. But I'm much more passionate about novels and literature and you know, all that sort of stuff. Why am I doing it in a different language? Yeah. So I swapped to English. And when you do English, everyone who's doing a serious subject at university sort of treats you like you're a bit of a slacker. Yes, you I know. felt that. I did English. It's funny, I, isn't it? I felt a little bit like that. Because you're working like the, with, yeah, scientists. The artsy crowd. Exactly. And you, you didn't have, we didn't have exams at the end of the first year. Yeah. And everyone treats you like you're basically a dosser. Yeah. And then they said things to me like, oh, you know, are you going to be a journalist or an English teacher? You know, it was sort of, it was, it was almost like people had defined you. Moody! Mood! Emily's lifting her arms, I think. Come on, wonder dog. I think she's either seen a friend or she's welcoming... No, that well, was her welcome back to Moody. She just... That was very sweet. There was a very touching embrace then. He's blind I just as saw a bat. you holding your arms out <laughs> to Moody and it reminded me of that really iconic moment when Princess Diana held her arms out <laughs> to William and Harry when I think she'd been away on a royal tour for a while. Do you remember that? And, she, and everyone saw it as how symbolic of... She was introducing the, the motherhood, being demonstrative and, and yeah. sort of affection, and that that reminded me very much of that moment you and me. There are, there are occasional moments when I come into the house and I go, "How was your day, darling?" And my son and my husband are both completely quiet, 
and they go, what are you, what, are you, is it for the dog? And I'm like, no, no, I'm actually talking to you. And they're like, oh, we just assumed you were talking to the dog. But so everyone basically gets the same. But do you have the dog? Oh, look how tiny that one is, tiny. Emily. Tiny. Okay. But do you oh, have a dog too voice? Too barky, too barky. Oh, do you think so? I, yeah, you I see, my dog doesn't barky bark. dogs. No. Why would you have a dog that barks? No. I just made it very clear as soon as he came into the house. I said, <laughs> okay, we don't do that. The first time he made a noise, I just looked at him. And he's never done it since. It's funny. Was it a really tough look? I'm quite scared of you now. <laughs> so we were on the subject of your, when you decided to go into, after you'd done your degree, and yeah, then you did yeah, decide to go into, when you moved, didn't well, you, essentially? I, didn't, I mean, I, yes, I did. I didn't. I think that was really bold, though. I do, it wasn't really Going like over that. to Asia. Yeah, exactly. I moved, I went to Asia because... I think I graduated in the middle of a recession yeah. and they were shutting down jobs and courses and I was never very good at the sort of apply for this and fill out this and I hate that all the kind of admin just terrifies me, you yeah. know, why do you think you'd be good, why, did, I couldn't, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to just sit there with 8,000 rejection letters Yeah. and I ended up going to Hong Kong, not really knowing anything, isn't it funny? didn't really understand anything about our colonial past. I hadn't really studied the history of sort of empire or yeah. colonialism. or So I didn't really understand the whole, that whole bit of history was missing from my head. And landing in Hong Kong and just going, oh my God, I see. Mm. We're five years away from the handover and that's China and that's properly, I kind of, I understood communist China and I didn't understand the rest. And so I, it just became the most fascinating thing in the world. Yeah. And it was the thing that we talked about and we, we, just, we puzzled over and how do you end up with this and what should we be doing? And, and so it was very natural at that point to go into, I actually started in radio and quite hard for me at the beginning, made all the mistakes in the book, but knew that it was something that was genuinely exciting and it had a sort of time and a place. Yeah. And I think one of the things sort of defines me I, I'm I, 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 I live life very fast I do everything very fast I can really very sense quick. that can you yeah but yeah, I think I, that's, I'm in awe of people like that I don't think it's good I think do you, you know not, why not well because you know because occasionally I think you you can miss you know I I sort of do this like oh amazing I've got here I've got the perfect coffee and instead of being the person that then spends an hour drinking the perfect coffee, I spend three minutes drinking the perfect coffee, and then I'm sort of on to the next thing. So I think I, I get that sometimes you've just got to, you know, calm it all down. I think that's why moods is really good for me. Really? Yeah. I mean, because when his sort of head is on your lap, you don't move, you know, <laughs> to the point where, I mean, the boys sort of family jokes like, oh, your mother can't fill up her own wine glass, you know. Could somebody please fill up your mother's wine glass because she's got, you know, the dog on her knee. Um, but I think, actually, it's a really, it's the most use, good, useful, sounds horrible, but, you know, the thing about a dog or a pet is they, they sort of remind you just to calm down a bit. Yeah. And so you read and you... And you snooze and you just, you sort of just... Well, you just step off the carousel yeah, briefly, exactly, don't you? exactly, exactly. You know, all this stuff, all this, this is my, this is my headspace time. Yeah. Know? And you need it with your 
job and career, I would imagine. Because since you, you decided that you were, you know, that was an area you were going to go into, it feels like, having read your book, which I want to get onto because I absolutely loved it, I really did. It was, it was called Airhead, and I just sort of started reading it, and it was fascinating because it just plunges you in, which I love in a book, because I hate it with anything vaguely, I mean, it's not an autobiography, but anything vaguely sort of biography or memoir based yeah. when they say oh and my parents are born in a Yorkshire oh village I'm, I don't want to know that yeah and it plunges you into this sort of very high adrenaline situation where you get a phone call in the middle of the night where you have to fly off and leave your family and cover a terrorist incident and it sort of never lets up which I which reminds me you know when you say you live at quite a fast pace. That's, I sped through the book. I couldn't put it down. Oh, that's really nice. That's right. Which is what you want in a book. That was how I felt I wrote. I wrote as if I just sort of had to get it all down. Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds weird, but it was like that. It was, it was these memories will fade and this level of kind of in, the intensity of feeling will fade. Yeah. And I've got to write all these things down before they don't make sense anymore, you know, before I wonder what on earth I was doing or what I was asking or any of that sort of stuff. So, yes, I think it was never meant to be autobiographical. It was meant to be a chance to just kind of recollect moments of absolute chaos yeah. with the hindsight of, of calmness yes. and sort of think maybe it's worth explaining what went on. You know, because the kind of questions that people ask about TV and news and what we do, even now, even really sort of sophisticated viewers and people who understand interviews and TV, quite often there are gaps and they, and they sort of say, oh, I don't understand why you put that there. I don't understand why you wouldn't ask that. Or I don't understand why you had to sort of, you know, you were looking over your shoulder the whole time. Mm. And so I just thought, actually, you don't, you don't get the chance to do that on TV. You don't get to annotate you don't get to say, when I met him, yeah. he looked to me as if, you know, he was tired and distraught and he'd been up all night. You just, you just plonk it there. And so actually the book was a way of saying that was all the indecision and all the stuff that was going through my head at the time and all the things that were terrifying me yeah. and all the mistakes I made and all the, you know, all the ethical problems that you have as a journalist of when you're getting things wrong and how you correct them and what you should do and is your first responsibility as a sort of journalist versus as a human being. It was all that stuff that I just, you know, we sort of grapple with the whole time, literally every night on the programme. And it was a chance for me to just This is on write news it down. Night, we on say. news night, yeah. yeah. And so a lot of our time in the office is spent saying, you know, oh, so and so has just libeled this woman, you know, sex allegations in his book. Should we call him up about it? And you say, yes, but actually, let's not name the woman herself because otherwise mm. we're doing the same. And it's, it's all the sort of little decisions that you make that you could so easily forget to make or not check or, you know, just get really wrong. Hey, where are you, Moody? There he is. There he is. Moody, My little look out for the high-vis. I love Moody's high-vis tab, but hard. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Snorts. He's like a marathon official. No, he's a good job. Well, afraid not. Afraid no, not. you can't come down here. I'm sorry. Moody. Right, we have to remind it. There he is. We have Ham. This is my name. I'm going to give him a temporary. You're know, talking about names, funny other names you call them. Yeah. I'm calling Moody Jobsworth, Jobsworth. today. <laughs> but look at him run. 
You never see anyone move that fast. You're beautiful. He went straight to his mummy. (laughs) Here you are. Here you are, you beautiful boy. Sit down. There you go. There you go. He really is absolutely beautiful. There you go. So, yeah, the interviews that you cover. Yes. It's... There was one interview with Bill Clinton. Yeah. Where you're quite hard on yourself, which... When I say hard on yourself, I think you're very well known for being quite a tough interrogator. And if anyone isn't aware of that, just Google Jacob Rees-Mogg and Emily Maitlis. Um, but you're quite a tough interrogator on yourself as well, because I think you, you, you address a lot in the book times where you, you feel perhaps questions weren't asked that could have been, or in the case of Bill Clinton, mm. you were put into a very difficult situation. It was around the, you wanted to raise the question, the Monica mm. Lewinsky mm. question, and you couldn't really. Mm. So I wondered what that was about, that need. Are you explaining to everyone else or are you explaining to yourself? Are you making peace with it yourself? Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I think, I think both. I mean, when I got back, people didn't say, oh, goodness, why didn't you ask about Monica Lewinsky? Nobody actually said that to me at all. They just said, that's a great interview, well done for getting Bill Clinton. But it felt to me like I knew the gaps or I knew the stories and that was a sort of particularly, you know, curious one for me. I remember going to stay with some friends and saying, what should I have done that night? You know, mm. we were all sort of sitting around their kitchen table in, in Norfolk and I was going, what would you have done? What would you have done? And people got really into it and they were like, well, I think, you you know, everyone likes solving the, yes. your, other people's problems. You know, they're, they're sort of, they're good sort of conundrums. And so actually... Well, the, you're quite a good friend to have. Most people are like... Should I call that guy back? You're like, what should I have said to Bill Clinton? Should I have asked Bill Clinton about Monica Lewinsky? I don't have many friends that ask me that question well, around the kitchen table. You know, you, I could do the, you should call the guy back thing too. But I, I, no, I think I, I mean, sometimes it's really boring, but because yeah. we talk, you know, the worst thing you want to do is get stuck with me talking about Brexit, right? There is a very big downside to that. I'd love to. <laughs> Poor Claudia Winkleman invited um, me on to do her you know she did this 24 hour oh no yes. the 24 hour dancing thing yeah and so comet we relief, comet thing, relief yeah. and and yeah exactly we should say comet relief yeah and they raised a million pounds which was it's brilliant amazing her intense, but at that wasn't particular it? night moment they just had the first lot of i can't remember indicative votes or Theresa may's deal yes and so i arrived there and the whole dance was like <laughs> what happened with the brexit vote and i was like really are we going to talk about this now because we're, we're sort of we're sort of dancing on the spot, but talking about Brexit. And there's something that feels really odd about this. That was a reach for the stars, is what you're asking. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But go on, so the Clinton thing, you, were, you so discussed that with friends. And I did discuss it with friends, and I thought, actually, I just... It is, I mean, you said it, making peace with yourself. Would you... Would I... I love that whole thing, you know, they call it the sort of subjunctive history. Yes. You know... What would you have done? If you did it all again, what would you do differently? Yes. And if that had been that, you know, if it had been post-Weinstein, would you have asked it? And if I had asked it, would the whole Weinstein thing have come out earlier? And, you know, how much, how much could change just by, by, the, by the, you know, erasure of one question or the addition of another? I sort of, I love that whole sense, you know, of, of sort of 
being able to look back and, and, and have that hindsight and think, oh, that's really interesting. Which is what you do a lot in the book. And yeah. if, you know, whether you're interviewing Sheryl Sandberg or whether you're whoever you're interviewing, there's that sense of, well, I could have done this. It's like, I feel, yeah, it's sort of your director's cut in a sense. Yeah, and yeah. it's not it's not a sort of hand-wringing. It's not meant to no. be like, oh, I was so stupid. <laughs> you know, I'm, not, I'm not pretending that you get these things right the whole time and that we beat ourselves up, you know, all the time when we don't. But I think things that I, you know, wrote about, I really enjoyed just going back into those chapters of yeah. my life. I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend that I'm, I missed, you know, being a soothsayer because I'm not a soothsayer, but I just keep going back and thinking, that's interesting. So that was the first and indication. Was, and when you interviewed Trump, and similarly, yeah. you notice, you pick up on the yeah, small lies he tells. All the lies, all the exaggeration, all the, I think, the biggest what I would call it, yeah, I think, and now I understand it. I mean, we talk about this. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, he loves Moody it. just Moody's, runs. Moody's, <laughs> it's basically a terrorist, a duck terrorist. He just runs up to the side of the, of the Moody, pond. you were like, I used to watch a poem called Grey and Chill, and you were like Griffa Steps in The Bully. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. what you were like then. Yeah, you're a horror. Um, um, but, but, um, Clinton and the, we, I was just, uh, oh no, not Clinton, Language. Trump, we'd moved on to. So this is the thing, so we... Trump and his lies. Yeah, I mean, we were talking, we, we were talking, you know, there's so much, whether it's politics here or in the, how important language becomes. And that's, for me, a really, really key thing and a key sort of message now of journalism. Mm. When people use these words use loosely... I think it's our job to pick people up and say, you know, what does that actually, what are you actually saying? Because, you know, you didn't say that last week, but if you, if you start saying that over and over again, that, that establishes itself as a lie. And actually, I think we've now become so live to that now. And the problem starts when you don't pick up the little things and then they turn into big things. Do you get frightened when you're interrogating for example when you go into a situation like you're told right we've got Theresa May yeah you need to talk to her this is post Grenfell or yeah. mid the Grenfell Tower yeah. tragedy and you are thrust into a seat and you have a mic put on your lapel are you frightened at those moments yes yes I am because I I just I you really you don't get a second chance that's the point. You know, you don't get to re-ask the question. You don't get to start the tape or stop the tape and do it again. You kind of have to know that that first take is the very best take because that's the only chance you have. And actually, you know, within the BBC, people will be very nice about it if you screw up and say, oh, well, you know, it was impossible to do it any better. But inwardly they'll be going she fucked up <laughs> so yes I think but that's interesting because when I said were you frightened you you were talking about how there was a sense of fear that the interview wouldn't work out right and you wouldn't get what you'd gone in yes. to get whereas what's fascinating is that I would come from a position of fear in terms of I'm frightened they won't like me I'm frightened that Theresa May is a powerful woman and I want her to like me even if I don't agree with her politically, is how, that's obviously, I'm just imagining that's something you don't feel. 
Or is no, it? I've left that behind, actually. I, um, I'm not there as her dinner party guest, you know, I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make a good impression on her at that point. I don't have to be liked. And did you learn that though, or did you always have that from a young age? Because that, to me, that's something. No, I think that, that comes with age. Back. I do. Yeah, I do. I think it comes with age, and I think it also comes with just kind of trying to get rid of the weeds, if that makes sense. So, you know, you're never going to please any of the people most of the time. You know, is is a sort of starting point. You have to work out who your bracket of people is in terms of your editors or your audience or your the voices yeah. that sort of tell you when you've gone too far or or not quite far enough and I do take I mean I, I don't shut out advice I really listen to advice but I think that I and actually they get that as well mm. you know it's surprising how just utterly robust politicians are you know in the sense that I, you can sort of beat people up and then it's not personal it's, it's not business. at all personal yeah. and then they sort of you know they'll laugh with you next time they, they <clears> come <throat> in or they'll you know they sort of talk to you about your book or whatever it's I find it really extraordinary that people people get it people get that actually you're there doing a job just like you know don't take it out on the parking ticket man you know but do you think that's tougher for women that sense of wanting to please not because I necessarily think women are innately like that but I think to a degree we're condition more I think we are brought age. up absolutely yeah. to want to please and to want to I mean I'll tell you a, a lot of the things sort of the things that I've learned about around that is things like women fill in gaps you know they don't they, they feel that they have to be the talkers and the are you okay and all the rest of it you know and actually as an interviewer I know that sometimes that five minutes of absolute silence before you do an interview, it's really important for you. It's where everything falls into place, where your head calms down, your heartbeats are lowers, and you think, right, do I know what the arc of this is? And so actually, one of the things I've had to teach myself is not to just kind of rabbit on. You know, I don't have to fill the space. I don't have to, I'm allowed to be completely silent. Yeah. And that's fine, and it's not rude. It's, it's all about redefining what rude looks and sounds like, because, you know, in your, I mean, I remember, I sort of grew up in a house where, you know, my brilliant mother would sort of apologise for the weather to, to our visiting guests, you know, so sorry for the weather. And then when we'd go somewhere else and it rained, she'd apologise for that weather as well, because it was as if we brought it. And so, yeah. you know, in the loveliest, kindest way, she, she's the most hospitable person. She makes people feel at home. She encourages and, and She's just, she's sort of kindness personified. And actually, I suppose I had to slightly leave that at the door and say, I don't have to be that. You know, when, when some sort of bolshy old bloke comes in and goes, where's my water? You know, I don't have to be the one that jumps up and gets that. Whereas 10 years ago, I would have done it. Would you? Yeah, of like course. Like in, in, in an office? Like in Working Girl. Do you remember when, where, where he goes smelly Griffiths coffees and she quickly jumps up and gets it and then she remembers that he's offering it to her. Yeah. I, yes, of course, I would, have, I would have felt, or I, you know, people would have said things like, can you bring some makeup for the guests if you're on location? 
And now I'm kind of like, no, you know, I'm not going to do John Prescott's makeup, you know, on an OB. It's kind of, you, you sort of have to step back from all that and say, that's, let's, well, let's work out what the role is and, and sort of, you know. But is it easier for you now in some senses? Because you've worked very hard to get where you are and you're... I don't know if they call it anchor, but uh, to yeah. use that Americanism, you're essentially the anchor of Newsnight. You're one of the most powerful women in television. So you, you get to call the shots. And that's important, I think. I'd never call... I, isn't it funny? Now, now I'm balking. I wouldn't call me a powerful woman in television. Why? Uh, good question. I, I, I get re I, I'm scared by that sort of label because I think I'm not a commissioner and I'm not a decider. I... I, I affect, I carry it out. So if we get, you know, if we land an interview, my job is to, is to bring out the very best of that. But I don't particularly get to sort of say, we're going to be on at 10.30 or we're going to do this. or we, You know, that's not my role. I sort of yeah. think that, that the power lies with other people, which is fine by me, you know, 100% fine by me. But I think it, yes, I, I couldn't tell you the moment it clicked, but I remember sort of feeling it like a real sort of, breath of fresh air. I think part of it is that when you, in, in the olden days, if you did something and it went viral because it was, you know, a terrible mm. mistake, you beat yourself up. You're like, oh my God, that's terrible. That's terrible. Now things go viral because they've been politicised and propagandised. Yeah. And so you look at something and you go, oh, of course they're doing that because... They didn't like the interview I did with their, you know, right. Home Secretary or whatever it is. <clears throat> oh, of course they would say that because, you know, they're trying to make out that the BBC's, you know, anti this or anti that or whatever. And so, weirdly, the fact that people are so sort of tribal now has actually made it both harder and easier. In a way, you just kind of go, well, yeah, you would say that because you, you're, you're blinkered into believing that you know, we all hate that. Mm. Whereas you don't realise that we literally get those messages from across the political spectrum, you know. So I can, I had two Labour MPs in my timeline at the same time, both accusing me of the completely contrasting thing. And I just think, Jesus, you're actually in the same party, you yeah, know. Yeah. So I suppose in a way that sort of takes the pressure off because you, you go, I've, I've got to be much more critical mm. of the actual work rather than of whatever the sort of viral craziness is doing at, at any particular time. Well, I suppose it's that focus, isn't it? So it's, it's focusing on the signal, not the noise, because all that other yeah. stuff is a lot of noise, isn't yeah. it? Around what and actually, do. you know, I still, I mean, I'm really good, actually, you know, still at just coming out of an interview, beating myself up and going, oh, why didn't I ask that? Or why did I get in there? Or, you know, that, it, it clicks in really quickly. I can sense you do that a lot, though, because, again, I, I relate to that, but it's that sense you talk about in the book of you go to bed a lot saying, what, why didn't I ask them that? And you talk about cringing afterwards. And yeah. Sarah Millican, the stand-up, yeah. has this great rule about that, and she says... I mean, she doesn't do an awful lot of bad gigs. But, you know, everyone has them. So if she has one, she has a rule that she's not allowed to think about it past... 10 a.m. let's say or half really 10. good yeah and that's her rule so really she has good. a time frame for it and I think no that's good it's, yeah 
You're allowed to think about it. Yes. But it's not, it doesn't define you. It doesn't... It doesn't eat up your yeah. whole day and your life. And of course, I love it. We've just completely forgotten him, haven't we? <laughs> I know, I know. Fat little dog. Oh, hello. Time for some water soon. This is where I call him Pants, Panty. I love face. the way you hold your arms out to him in the Princess Diana embrace. Yeah, but don't you love the way that he just kind of runs past completely and sort of <laughs> pretends I'm not there? He's like, he's like the embarrassed teen. He's like, Mum, get off, get off. No, I'm fine, get off. You know. Yeah, it's a bit just not that into you. It's yeah, a bit like when Sandy, that. Daddy's with all his cool friends, Danny <laughs> Duco, and you're all sort of over the he's top He's got his collars up. Yeah, he's like, like, oh, hi, we met at the beach. It's so and right. Yeah. Um, he's very aloof. One of the things I loved was the dedication in your book and sorry for the spoiler alert but it's to your sons and it's also to your husband and I love it because you say the best question I asked yes or words to that effect and what was that question oh I asked him well I proposed him so yeah I like that you did that it was a leap year well (laughs) and did you plan it um, did you think? Did you give it a lot of thought, yes. or was it impulsive? Was it kind of, oh, sod it? No, we had this great trip. Um, bizarrely, it was on, you know, Y two K Eve, as we call it, and I think the head of BA had sort of dared me to fly with them <laughs> on one of their Y two K proof planes, and I. Oh said, yes, oh, you remember all the drama sorry. around yeah, that exactly. Y two K. So that's what we did. We flew to Mauritius and to sort of prove to ourselves it wouldn't crash. Yeah. And actually, I remember thinking, well, we didn't have any kids at the time, and it was like, well, why not? You know, what a great way to go out. <laughs> <laughs> and so we flew to Mauritius, which was my just sort of, I'd never been anywhere sort of, you know, tropical or beachy or just yeah. I couldn't imagine anything some more exotic. And then, yeah, I proposed him there. I imagine your relationship must be quite a sort of calm space for you that's the impression i get he, he doesn't feature much in the book because it's not that kind of a book but no, I, on pain of death you yeah. know he hates being talked about and hates, oh, does he? Yeah, hates being involved <laughs> well he comes across i like it i like the way he comes across because there's just the odd mention of there's a few moments when he's he, he is a car he's a calming soul but there's yeah one of the articles that was published, had the wrong picture, had me and one of my colleagues instead, and he was so happy. <laughs> he, was just, he was punching the air. Mystery man! <laughs> yeah, exactly. So completely avoided that one, so he quite enjoyed it. <laughs> so, I get the sense... Do people often ask you, Emily, if you would go into politics? No. <laughs> would you ever? No, I would never. I would never. I, I, I actually have so much respect for the people that do. I mean, I know it do doesn't you? always... I do. I mean, I, I don't mean that I respect all their political positions yeah. or even the way that they do it. But I just think, thank God you do that, because I, I actually can't imagine a worse job. I can't imagine being on call the whole time, sort of awful, really early hours and really late hours, yeah. and everything you say and, like the kind of sandwich that you eat on the train being analysed and posted. I can't imagine anything worse. And then people sort of hating you and calling you greedy at the same time. Mm. I just think, I'm mystified, I'm continually mystified by why anyone wants to go into it. But some people would look at your job and say that. Well, that's lucky. (laughs) (laughs) 
only because that idea of the sort of high adrenaline, the phone call in the middle of the night and pack your bags, go. Yeah. There must be a side of you that, that likes that. You know, that's a, that, yes, there must we're be. sort of drawn to that in some way. Yes. It's a sort of foreign correspondent gene, I suppose. I think there is something really alluring mm. about feeling that you are part of this bigger thing. That when something happens, people kind of go, oh, well, you know, Emily will be there, or Emily will be talking about that, or when everyone's watching the election, mm. you know, or the US election, and you're there, you're in the middle of it. You, of course, it's the most... It's the most thrilling thing in the world, you know. And you, and you come back from a trip and people are like, what was Trump like? Or what did he think? Or who's going to win? Or how's the Brexit party going to do in Peterborough? Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's get yeah. really sexy here for a minute. <laughs> yeah. But you, you, and it does have that, extra, it makes you feel that you're just in the centre of the world. Yeah. And so I think it's a luxury to have a job that you, that you genuinely find kind of, exciting and mm. I think I'm you know I, I I'm going to regret saying this but <laughs> most of the time I go into work and I'm just I I love the people I work with because we just we have really good chats yeah. we have really we like we sit there talking about why do we invoke World War II the whole time when we talk about Brexit or mm. what is it culturally that makes us different to you know Europe as an or whatever there's just they're just really fascinating conversations that we have the whole time. And I think, you know, I'm getting paid to work this out. I'm getting paid to, to, to sort of plan out an interview and work out how to get the best out of people. And that, yeah, I mean, it's going to end. I and mean, it's all going to end in tears. Everything ends in tears. But at the moment, it just, I feel really... I don't think it will end, what, it'll end in tears politically or for you. No, I just mean, you know, <laughs> you can never, you can never... I always think, you know, you can't... You can't count your chickens. You can't count your chickens. But you can say, those are lovely yeah. chickens. Well, those are lovely, you know, you, you can sort of. Well, well yeah. that's a lovely dog as well. Moods. I'm, I'm so obsessed by your dog. Emily, I've so enjoyed today, honestly. Oh, thank you. The sun has been shining. You're We've so been fascinating. so lucky, haven't we? And I'm going to do what you're not meant to do when you're interviewing people like Theresa May. I'm not going to say, Minister, can I? I think, I love you. I think you're absolutely brilliant. Oh, and I think you're really inspiring. And I think it's very important for women to have role models like you. But was I a bit boring? <laughs> a bit boring. I was a bit boring. I'm going to end it there because that's very Emily Maitlis. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.